0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is from Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, Life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. They're friends in Christ. I think we might disagree with that. Because I think there are many people who think that their life does exist in the abundance of what you possess. And, you know, I, I think about the people in southern Iowa we had these recent floods in the spring. They were awful. And we've sent people down to Pacific Junction and Hamburg, Missouri, and, and uh, Pacific Junction, Iowa. Those, those towns are devastated. Now, there's nothing left. Those floods took away everything. People are just now starting to, uh, starting to think about getting homes, and Hamburg is even talking about maybe not even coming back together again, and they've lost nearly everything they owned. With the flood waters, all their dreams and all their possessions sunk. No one died necessarily in the flood waters, but all their possessions did, ruined everything that they loved, everything that they held dear, drugged to a trash pile heap where it's it's just wet, and uh, they're all intertwined together, soggy, moldy, ruined, stinky. On the one hand, we say, "Well, it's just stuff, right? It's just stuff." It's easy for us to stay that, but we we become so intertwined with our stuff emotionally and and even spiritually. We get tied to our stuff uh, because it we've invested something. Life has meaning. A wedding dress, uh, a photo album, memories, love letters from long ago. It's painful, and it hurts to lose things like that that are irreplaceable. And we say that they have no, they, 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 you can't put a value on them. They're priceless, these possessions, these things that define who you are these things that tell you who you are. What would you do if you lost all your stuff like that? Well, while it certainly would be a devastating event, and it was for the people of Pacific Junction in Hamburg, losing all your stuff should not define who you are. I know it does, but it shouldn't. Because we are so much more in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus defines us. I don't need people to love me. I don't need people to like me. I just need to know that my God loves me, forgives me. And that's my value, that's my identity. I'm not tied in a bunch of stuff that's going to all pass away. This Jesus Christ dearly loves you. This Jesus Christ dearly treasures you. And he puts that treasure deep inside your heart. And he says, you don't even understand what kind of treasure that is. You will someday. But right now, we tend to hold that treasure not so dear. But the deep waters of any flood cannot wash that love away. It cannot destroy that kind of love. But possessions can be perilous because our identity can be bound up in our things. Now, there's always ways that we find meaning, security, and identity in the stuff around us, our home. We find identity in that place. That's why we call it home. We walk in the door and we say, oh, it's so good to be home. This is where I find my identity until the house burns down. We find our identity from all the stuff that we put around us rather than finding our identity in Christ who redeemed us. That treasure that lasts forever, that makes us holy, makes us acceptable to God. And when this happens, when we slowly drift off into loving our stuff, we get the sense of our, when, our, when the sense of our identity comes from the material things in our life, It's a lot deeper than the simple word greed. Greed, as we read from our lesson in Colossians, is really idolatry. It's having another God. It's breaking the first commandment. By nature, we drift that way. We want to replace God. Adam, he wanted to be God. That's why he ate the fruit. The sin is the oldest sin in the book. Satan's temptation is the oldest temptation. He wants you to think that your stuff is more important and you're more important than God himself. We lean too much on the things of this life rather than leaning on the one who gives us those things. And we tend to drift away, drift into idolatry, the love the love of our things, the love of our possessions. Now I want you to think about it this way. If you take a stick and you throw it into a lake, that stick just kind of sits there. But you take a stick and you throw it into a river in the little Sioux. It just, it travels immediately down it gets caught up in the current, doesn't it? Well, our, our sin nature is like that current. And it just pulls us away into our love for things and what all the stuff that we identify around us. I I find my identity in my wife and my family. I find my identity in my house and my stuff. I find my identity in my pastor, in in, in my job, and this is who I am until it's all taken away from me. So we need to be careful, Jesus says. Be careful so you're not swept away our theme, Drifting Toward Idolatry. And this drift toward idolatry happens gradually. It happens slowly. Uh, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today, I think, I think I'm think i going to start committing idol- idolatry today. I'm going to start putting other things above God. Starting today, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to draw my security from all the things I possess. I'm going to draw security from... Uh, Who I am and the people that surround me, that is going to define who I am today. That's not how it happens, is it? It's slow. Of course, it does happen. But how does it happen? How do we get to the point of greed and idolatry? Well, Jesus gives a parable today and in the parable we read, we, we read about a man and this is a case study, a case study on greed uh, as, and uh, that drift toward idolatry because it's a parable we call the parable of the rich fool. I, I don't like that name because it's almost like I don't want to identify myself with the main character because the main character was a rich fool. I'm not rich and I'm not a fool. And yet you have much more in common with this man than we'd ever want or hope to desire. Now look at how this man got rich. He was a farmer. And of course, if you're a farmer, who do you depend on to become wealthy? Well, of course, the farmer, he had to do all the work. He was, he was a farmer. He had, to, he had to sow the land, prepare the land, and His land produced a bumper crop. I wonder how that happened. Sure, he did the farming. But God made the seed grow. God gave the sun. God gave the rain. God gave the earth. God made the seed grow. You could say, God gave the man his wealth. Couldn't you? Well, what about you? What do you believe about your wealth? What do you believe about all your possessions, the abundance of your possessions? Do you believe that God is responsible for everything you have, or everything you have is yours, and you can do with it as you want? Or maybe it's not so black and white for you. Maybe you believe it's 50-50. 50% of, it, of your stuff is because God has blessed you. 50% of your stuff is because you've worked so hard to get it. Or maybe it's 70-30, or maybe it's 80-20. Or maybe you're more inclined to say no. I worked for it. I earned it. I bought it. It's mine." Do you know how you view your possessions? Reveals a lot about your spiritual health and your spiritual relationship with Jesus. As for the man in our parable, we're not told how he viewed his money, whether it was a 50-50 or a 80-20. All we know is that, well, he had a lot of stuff. He had a whole lot of stuff. He had stuff left over. He took in the harvest, and he had a problem. Where do you put all my stuff? Because this is going to be my future. I'm going to be able to retire on all this stuff. And so he did the sensible thing. He decides, I'm going to build more barns. Hey, listen, that's exactly what we would have done. How many of you have an investment for the future. And what do you do with that investment? Do you watch the investment? Do you protect the investment? Listen, investing to the future, there's nothing wrong with that. So there's nothing wrong with the fact that, that he was protecting his investment, building bigger barns to hold his stuff. There's nothing evil in that. Hmm. And there was nothing wrong with him wanting to enjoy his wealth. He said, I'm going to take my money and I'm going to go eat, drink, and take it easy and be merry. Nothing wrong with that either. How many of you take your money and go buy a new car or take your money and go on vacation and you spend your money to go on a cruise, you spend your money to go have fun? How many of you do that, right? Nothing wrong with you spending your money to eat, drink, and be merry. You all do that. It wasn't much different from that what King Solomon said in her Old Testament lesson. A man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. You work hard so that you can enjoy the value of your work. There's no crime in that. There's no evil in that. God gave you good gifts so that you can enjoy those gifts. So how are you any different than the man in our parable and how did this man then why after all of this then why does god eventually call this man a fool why does jesus call him a fool how did he get to this point where he's just a farmer wanting to protect his investment wanting to enjoy his stuff and somehow he gets to the point where he's a he's a foolish man he's a foolish farmer How did he drift into idolatry? What kept him from being rich toward God? Well, judging from the words of the parable, the man started, possibly started his drift into idolatry when he started to call the stuff, my stuff, my crops. He drifted into idolatry when he called the barns, My barns. He drifted into idolatry when he called the goods, my goods, and the grain, my grain. And at one point, he even calls his own soul, my soul. A personal pronoun. Two letters, my. It's a personal pronoun. It's it's a pronoun that means you possess it. And it's a weak word. Standing all by myself means nothing. My. My. But you attach it to something, it becomes very powerful. My toy! My thing. My stuff. My soul. My body. Oh, it's the first sin that comes out of little children. We have our little children, we say they're so innocent. The first word they learn is you try to take something away. Now, now! And the next one is, mine, mine, mine! Right? And that drift into idolatry at that young age already starts with that personal pronoun. It's mine. That tiny possessive word can make all the difference between being wise and being a faithless fool. Perhaps the road to idolatry is paved not so much with money and greed, but with a possessive pronoun. There's only one remedy for this problem in our sinful hearts, and that's finding contentment. Being content with what you have, no matter how little it might be or how much, and seeing everything that you have as God's gift to you. Your husband, your wife, your children, God's gift. Your house, your car, your clothes, God's gift. God is a giver of all the great things, and He's blessed you so incredibly richly, The remedy is seeing that and being content. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I love the way King Solomon described contentment from our reading here from Ecclesiastes today. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without Him, who can find enjoyment? So being satisfied with what we have, being content with the things that we have, with what God has given us, that in and of itself is a gift from God. If God can teach you to be content, that's a gift. Being satisfied. I I used to know, his name was Henry Ihus. His wife was Dot. I was new in the ministry, brand new. I went and I visited Henry and Dot's house And it was like stepping back into the 1950s. They had a black and white TV. A black and white TV in the 80s. And I said, Henry, you make enough money, why do you have a black and white TV? And he said, so I can buy color TVs for other people. And I said, Henry, you've got an old, he had an old truck that looked brand new. He had an old polyester suit from the 1960s that looked brand new. His couch looked like it had never been worn. And I said, Henry, how do you take care of your stuff? He says, God helps all my stuff stay stay new. None of my stuff wears out. And I said, but why don't you buy new stuff? He goes, because this stuff is good. This is good stuff that God has blessed me with. I don't have to buy TVs, and I don't have to buy couches, and I don't have to buy chairs, and I don't have to buy anything because God has blessed me with these things, and now I'm able to use all my money to bless other people. He says, I've taken four people through seminary. I paid for four pastor's educations. I support 15 missionaries. They're out there in the field because I'm supporting them. Now He wasn't bragging. He was just stating a fact. This is what God put me on earth to do. And Henry and Dot were content. And I said, man, I don't understand this. I don't understand this spiritual man. But Henry and Dot weren't perfect. They were still sinful too. There was one man, though, who did it perfectly, one man who was perfectly content, and he was perfectly content to die for you. He came into this world, it wasn't an easy thing. The king wanted to kill him right off the bat, take away all his family's possessions and take away his life. Jesus walked through this world, and I want you to think about his life. Think about all the possessions he had. Oh, that's right. He had the clothes on his back and the shoes on his feet. Oh, and he complained about that, right? He said, look, I don't have much, right? He complained about... We never heard him ever complain, did he? Not once did Jesus ever complain. And he had nothing. He was satisfied to be your Savior no matter the cost. And then think about the opposition. The cost... He'd wake up in the morning, the people would be there, I'm sick, I'm hurt, I'm dying, I'm blind. Please, help me. And all day long, he took care of the sick and the suffering, the lost and the dying. And he was content with his work. All those people that picked on him that that he had helped, all those people that he had been there for, all those people that he had taught, all eventually come and they say, crucify him. And they turn against him. And he goes to the cross, and does he complain? Not a word, like a sheep that's led to a slaughter. Is he silent? And he doesn't complain, he simply does the will of the Lord. And he does it all because he loves you. He has a gift to give to you, a gift, a gift that meant so much to him that he lived his life with nothing on this earth, not even a pillow for his head. To suffer and die that your sins might be washed away. So you can have a gift in your heart that lasts forever. A treasure. More valuable than all the silver or gold. And you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You don't even deserve it. (laughs) And that's why we call it grace. Amazing grace. You see in your baptism, God filled that empty void. That place where we... We tend by nature to drift toward idolatry. He filled that empty void, that void inside of you that always is calling you and inviting you to attach that personal pronoun mine or my to your stuff. That thing in us that wants to claim everything as our own. Jesus washed all that away. He's forgiven all that, filled that void with the power of His Holy Spirit. And He daily and richly forgives you in all your sins. In our epistle, Paul writes, You died. Your sin nature died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, will come back again and appear, then you will appear with Him in glory and you're going to get your reward. The treasure will be known then for what it was. The resurrection promise that you possess, the resurrection promise that you own, That is yours, brings you contentment. That resurrection promise brings you peace and joy. You don't have to run, you don't have to run on empty. You don't have to run the rat race trying to get bigger and better barns. You can be content with what you have, and it doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. You have Christ who says I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you never so what does this mean well it means that life is not about building bigger barns better stuff to accumulate more and more so that you can feel confident and so you can feel secure and so that you can have stuff that identify you that means today regardless of your circumstances Regardless of your inventory. Today you can live safe and secure and content in Jesus. It means you live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and laid His life down to save you. So begin today. Let someone else chase after the wind. Let someone else chase after all that's meaningless. For a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And watch out lest you find yourself attaching that personal pronoun to all the things in your life as you cling to the things of this world and the people of this world rather than on God. Rejoice in your work Appreciate the gift of your salvation and understand the gift of contentment. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus into life everlasting. Amen.